Welcome back to Martins and More. My name's Mari Rutsch. And I'm Spoon Phillips. And I hear everything reggae, says the late, great David Lindley. We have something to talk about today, Spoon. It's not going to be fun, but it's necessary. We have to pay homage to one of our biggest musical influences, the passing of David Lindley. Let's talk about that today and remember one of the greatest musicians anyone's ever known. It's, uh, that's a big, bold statement to say when you think of the history of music, but I think, um, I think a lot of people would agree. A lot of people in the profession would certainly agree. And there've been all kinds of accolades heaped on him during his lifetime, but especially in the, in the uh, days since he passed on uh, March 3rd, I believe was the day after a, a lengthy illness. Uh, multi, you know, he was, he was 78. And according to the uh, obituary in New York Times, he had been suffering with uh, some kidney problems and and had a recent uh, bout with influenza. But at that age, you know, in such a long, busy life, I caught up to him. And I must honestly say, I I was taken aback, you know, after the passing of David Crosby. And I had uh, said for many years, one of my lotto-winning fantasies was to produce an album of David Crosby and David Lindley on acoustic instruments, just the two of them. And, and that dream has now gone the way, a bittersweet dream. And, and Bittersweet Dreams is, of course, the Crosby and Nash album that was released uh, in this century that featured uh, David Lindley on it. Uh, he's got a long storied history of recording with all kinds of artists from the heavy metal group Savage uh, he's on compilation, bluegrass albums, uh, children's albums put out by Disney as a, a session man, certainly a not just an A-list, but a one-of-a-kind session man who uh, had his own uh, unique style as a solo artist and as a sideman in concert with a variety of people, which I think is how both of us first came familiar uh, with David Lindley. When do you remember first becoming aware of the man that was affectionately known as Mr. Dave. My introduction to David Lindley was certainly Jackson Brown, and I remember listening to Jackson Brown being turned on to his music from the Gateway album or the Gateway band, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but it, very quickly after I recognized what I loved about Jackson Brown's sound, it didn't take long to dive into his catalog and recognize that maybe almost all of the things I loved about the music I'm hearing from Jackson Brown had David Lindley all over it, whether it was violin, lap steel, acoustic guitar. I know you and I talk uh, all the time how, how impressive certain Jackson Brown albums were for you, and I always laugh a little bit because I think most of the time you cite David Lindley as a serious influence, whether or not you know it, you're reacting to or referencing his acoustic guitar playing, which maybe some people would almost say that's the third or fourth thing he does but Jackson Brown was my immediate introduction into David Lindley which I uh, I really found much earlier than finding David Lindley's solo side of things but yeah it was Jackson Brown for me well that's certainly the case with me as well I discovered the For Every Man album I think my brother borrowed it from a friend and I heard the uh, the first thing I heard of course was was taking it easy and that uh, I heard that before the Eagles version. So to me, it's the Jackson Brown version that I, uh, that I remember so well. But then immediately followed by, goes into a, a very pretty romantic song called La Our Lady of the Well, that is dual acoustic guitars and in that sort of finger style playing where Oftentimes one uh, musician will be using a capo and the other won't, so they harmonize. But I think when the two of them played it, there was no capo involved. But that really put a hook in me and uh, followed by the song Colors of the Sun, very tasty uh, acoustic guitar, lead work. I remember seeing an interview with him uh, at, the, at the Folk Music Instrument uh, Center in his... Uh, hometown of California or the town where he was living in, where he, uh, the, the person complimented him on knowing when not to play. And that's exactly what's all over for every man. But the end of that side of that uh, album is the track These Days, where you get to hear his amazing soaring slide guitar that he really became known for 
And um, but there's also on the other side your redneck friend. He's playing electric fiddle. Um, then uh, times you've come another duo acoustic guitar uh, with Bonnie Raitt's harmonies over top of that. That's uh, really wonderful. And for those who've ever uh, were ever lucky to see David and Jackson Brown uh, when they used to tour together when they were young. Uh, David Lindley would sing those kind of harmonies, but that's great. And then what really got it for me was the song uh, For Every Man. It starts out with the song, oh, I can't believe I can't sing remember. Sing My Songs the, to Me? Sing My Songs to Me, thank you. And um, and that then rolls into For Every Man and David Lindley's very subtle guitar, solo work and, and lead fills and stuff, hugely influential on me. And there's just something very emotional about it, but very tasty and always elevating the music without uh, taking it over. Though he could certainly do that, as we've all heard on Running on Empty and songs like that when it was appropriate. But um, so that hooked, that hooked me into it. And then I saw, you know, some article about him in some guitar magazine and was talking about how he was one of those sidemen that was big in Japan because the Japanese were very into... Uh, learning all about the additional musicians, not just the, not just the uh, stars. And, and I completely agreed with him. I think the headline of Rolling Stones tribute to him, obituary to him said, uh, there were side, there are side men and then there's David Lindley. And so many people said that he, that you, you knew him within one or two notes when you hear, hear him on other people's records. And I know a lot of people out there uh, will be surprised at how many albums they've known that he was on, in addition to the, the, uh, the major Southern California artists that he was initially associated with. And I think you can name some of those right now. Oh, I certainly could. And I'm just laughing as I'm listening to you. Tim Perry and I, my bandmate, are always talking about David Lindley, you know, before and after this, we still will be. The thing I often quote, or Tim often quotes, I can't remember if it was a, a documentary we saw online, or was it something, a video, or was it a book? But when David was constantly winning the Topanga Banjo contest, or fiddle contest, I forgot what, what it was, but there was something he kept winning, kept winning, and they eventually made him a judge. But Jackson recalls meeting him for the first time across this parking lot. And it was this scene where they were just like, it's him. It's, it's him. It's Lindley. Like, he was, he was something. And, yeah, to answer your question, I, I'm, I'm going to probably digress through this whole episode because I'm just remembering my favorite stuff. But the albums I really remember him being on were Running on Empty. The second one, like you said, For Every Man. He stayed around. Uh, the 1980 album Holdout from Jackson Brown. He's still on pieces of that. And off of Jackson Brown's catalog, I'm going to be embarrassed to say I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time guessing what popular music he guessed it on, album-specific. But I know Warren Zevon's involved in there. I know there are Crosby, Stills, and Nash records, or at least Crosby and Nash records that he was on. I would have to go and look and find out which ones were which. But I, I do feel strongly enough, if you played something for me and asked me, hey, this is, here's a Graham Nash track, is this Lindley or isn't it? I feel like I would know. Yeah, very likely. And you and I both share a great love of the Crosby and Nash live album that has basically the same crew that was on Running on Empty with a different drummer, I think, or maybe it was a different bass player. But um, but yes, he's all over that uh, with his lap steel, blistering lap steel and his violin on Simple Man and, uh, and then this uh, almost bizarre deja vu that ends it where they all get solos. So he does electric violin solo, but he also does a, uh, a plucking violin solo as well. But yes, he, uh, he's on, you know, before we're finished, I'm actually going to read through a list of, of known artists that he performed with. Mr. Dave uh, was born and grew up in a, in a you know, relatively, I wouldn't say affluent town, but a, you know, a middle-class town in Southern California. His father listened to all kinds of eclectic music, including including things from you know foreign countries and um, stuff that uh, most people would not have grown up listening to. And he was famous for playing. They used to say he could play any stringed instrument imaginable. When you would go to see him live by himself, he would have a rack of instruments. There would be a six-string guitar. There would be more than one 
Weizenborn-style Hawaiian lap steel guitars. For people who are not familiar with those, um, you've probably seen them, but they look a lot like a guitar, but they're a little wider. You're designed to be played on the lap, and they have a hollow neck. And he would have multiple ones of those in different tunings. And uh, at some point in the uh, late 20th century or early 21st century, a uh, builder down in Mexico made him a special one that had the double necks and there would be a different neck on each side. So he would actually turn it over and he would, so it had sound holes on both sides and he would like dampen the other strings with his lap and he would play in one tuning and then he could turn it over and, and have it in another tuning of it. If I remember, it may have been, had a longer neck. So he'd play that stuff. He would play a Turkish saz. He would play a, an oud, which is uh, an cistern, and he would usually have a couple of bouzoukis. They uh, they typically were probably Irish bouzouki in terms of their make, but he would have one tuned in fifths and one tuned in fourths, so you would have the opportunity to have sort of a Greek bouzouki sound and, an, and a Celtic bouzouki sound. And bouzoukis are also known as um, the largest member of the mandolin family, or one of the largest members. And that's odd. I can't remember what they call them. They call them octave mandolins. An octave mandolin is, uh, if you hear that, it's the same thing as a, a bouzouki. Though an uh, octave mandolin has a longer scale than a Greek bouzouki. But the thing is, he would use these to play eclectic music on. So he wasn't using a, a saz to play Turkish music. He was using it. And a saz a very long neck and very few strings. And you kind of pluck it way down at the end, and it's got a very high-pitched twangy sound and he would use it to play a folk song like way out in kansas you know that that's you know so he would basically take these exotic instruments and then use them for his own purposes for whatever reason he got very uh into uh reggae and zydeco so his own band that he came out with in the late 70s uh, el reo x was a sort of a combination of reggae with Tex-Mex, Southern Cal-Mex influence and Middle Eastern influence. And and I have just had a, a wonderful time, but again, bittersweet, finding so many live recordings of El Rayo X out on YouTube now, uh, live, you know, from German television. And some of them are from the same tour, but it's, it's fascinating to watch these songs, some sometimes blistering rock and roll songs, sometimes more uh, laid back reggae type stuff, and just how uh, free and open they are and how it's never the same. What he plays on his lap steel or his guitar and what his other musicians play are never the same. So it's very fresh and alive and uh, so much fun. So I highly recommend people check out El Rayo X if they've not uh, ever heard them before. So yes, uh, I he goes all the way back pre-Jackson Brown. Mr. Dave was in a band called The Kaleidoscope that put out some albums. They had a recording contract. And as you can imagine, it's somewhat psychedelic, but also uh, he would play banjo on that. And, and there's one tune, uh, one of my roommates when I was in college and living in a house had the Kaleidoscope albums and there's this extended banjo jam uh, done with a lot of echo and, and, and sort of psychedelic effects that's really mind-blowing. And Jimmy Page is quoted as saying that they were one of the greatest bands of all time. They were very, he very much loved the Kaleidoscope, though they never, uh, they never took off in popularity because they were so eclectic and unusual that, you know, the radio stations and the record company didn't know what to do with them. Um, but he very quickly... Uh, I think because of Kaleidoscope, Graham Nash uh, or, or Graham Nash's producer hired him to play uh, guitar, violin, and sing on Graham Nash's uh, first solo album, Song for Beginners. And that led to that con the connection with those guys. So, so he's on Graham Nash's solo albums, most if not all of them. He's on the Crosby and Nash albums, toured with Crosby and Nash. Uh, he finally appeared later on with Stephen Stills because... He and, and this is now finally available online, though I haven't heard it yet. He and Graham Nash got up and did, uh, well, first he got up and did a Lee Shore with David Crosby at the end of David Crosby's set at a uh, benefit for Native Americans in uh, Texas. And this may be in the 19, boy, I don't remember uh, exactly when this happened. And, um, and then Stephen Stills and David Lindley get up and join him for his encores 
Um, so he officially also recorded with Stephen Stills. And he apparently appears, uh, at least on one song, on their concert collection album called Allies, one or two songs on there as well. But, um, but he was uh, most associated with Jackson Brown, like you said. And in fact, I kind of stopped listening to Jackson Brown when David Lindley wasn't there anymore. The same way I stopped listening to Steely Dan when, when Skunk Baxter left. It was like, well, then I'm not going to pay attention to those guys anymore. You know, of course, I went back to them <laughs> after the long run. But um, he'll be back. He hooked up with Ry Cooter, and he's on uh, tons of Ry Cooter albums over the years. And they toured together. And, and later in life, they, they did a uh, world tour, maybe not all in one stint, with their kids playing with them. And like it was their families and that you could buy, you know, at Mr. Dave's shows, you could, you know, buy CDs of that. And that's probably available online through Ry Cooter's people, if not David Lindley. That's an awesome album. I have to interrupt right there. Do you have that? Um, yeah. Yeah, of course I do. Yes. And he used to tell this hilarious story when he would be doing his song, Cat Food Sandwiches, which is about getting sick from eating bad backstage food. If you've never heard it, it's kind of a Zydeco tune that, that, uh, and he, the opening lines, are, I've got cat food sandwiches waiting for me backstage. I got cat food sandwiches waiting for me backstage. I got cat food sandwiches waiting for me backstage. And the woman who made them looks just like Jimmy Page. And uh, it's based on a true story. But then he, <laughs> then he would break and he would go tell, he and his percussionist would just, go, just riff while he told this hilarious story of going to play in, during that tour in Dublin and Patty, I can't think of his name is, the leader of the Chieftains. Well, before the show, he heard, he heard this scream from his daughter's uh, dressing room, and he went in, and she was there looking at the spread of food that he had laid out. And she's vegetarian, if not vegan. And there was this big gelatinous uh, mold of aspic with all these things in it, including uh, what was clearly a slice of a pig's snout like the tip of a pig's snout, <laughs> and it's what they call head cheese. And she had never seen anything like this, and she was really freaked out about it. And he said, okay, well, you have to be polite. We don't have to eat it, but we just be polite. You know, and this, they, they put all this food out for us. And then they went out and did like an extremely long show. So when they came back, the head cheese had basically melted into this gelatinous goo and you know, really smelled. And, and when they call it head cheese, it's really head cheese is made with parts from the animal's head. And uh, while they're talking, in comes the guy that's the leader of the chieftain. He's like, oh, Lindley, it's a, you know, what a magnificent show. That was great. And then he turns and he says, oh, what a lovely head cheese. Do you mind if I have a slice? And goes over and just takes a big and slaps it on. And, you know, he's telling the story because they kept, you know, and they were looking for what they kept, what he kept calling the fuzzy little poker chip. Um, wondering if, uh, if, <laughs> yeah. he got, if uh, this guy had eaten the fuzzy little poker chip. But anyway, yes, very funny guy. He would tell <laughs> great stories. And you hear a lot of great stories about him, too. Um, do you remember when we were at NAM and ran into Leland Sklar? I do. That guy's as giant as you think he is. And, and I remember uh, top of the escalator, I was talking to him. And I probably should have asked him to go halfway down the escalator so I could look at him. But that was so fun. <laughs> yes, yeah, great fun. And, and uh, we ran into him on the floor. And later on, he's walking down the hallway. And he said, hi, fellas. And we stopped and talked for a little bit. And, you know, and I, said, I said, you know, I've always wanted to ask you, um, you know, when it comes to uh, you hear stories about the eccentricity of some of these people. You know, like Bob Dylan and, and David Lindley and, and um, I forget who else I mentioned. And he said, oh, no, no, you know, they're just fine. Uh, Lindley's nuts. He said <laughs> a laugh. But, uh, and he was pretty yep. famous for his sense of humor and his kooky, his kooky uh, mannerisms and his kooky clothes. He, was, he insisted on wearing the most outlandishly badly matched, uh, terrible 70s polyester, uh, 60s polyester you could find. Um, that looked like you know <laughs> broken stained glass windows matched with stripes and and outlandish uh, you know elaborate sh uh, shoes uh, blue suede shoes among them <laughs> and with his long long flowing hair and uh, his pointy nose he looked like almost like a marionette with a very like ski slope uh, you know almost like a cartoon character and if you're not familiar with his singing voice you've heard it a zillion times at the end of the Jackson Brown song, uh, The Loadout, 
where they go in to stay, stay just a little longer. And he sings that, you know, the producers won't mind if we take a little time, you know, about being uh, running into overtime. And then uh, Rosemary Butler sings this big, raucous version of Stay with her big, wonderful voice. And then Mr. Dave comes up and sings in his falsetto that is every bit as high as the original recording and, and was always a highlight of those <laughs> shows. Um, you mentioned the polyester. There's some good footage. I don't know if you've seen the video. It's, it's probably from the mid-90s called Going Home, and it's kind of a rock doc of Jackson Brown's career and it has it spans the whole thing but it's centered around a 1994 1995 tour for the I'm Alive album and it's great it, it kind of goes in in and out of order so you see some old stuff some new stuff and it's not not linear across from start to finish but more than two or three times in the whole program they go from this really appropriate music footage or documentary footage and it's just Lindley and Jackson Brown sitting in a studio talking to each other, you know, two chairs just next to each other, conversation style, and they're talking about polyester every time they cut back to it. <laughs> and they make more than a few really good jokes, but Jackson is visibly either concerned or amused by how when they go from town to town and, you know, maybe a lot of guitar players on the road go to guitar stores, and I'm sure they did that too, but how, you know, Lindley will just be caught admitting, yeah, I, I go hunting for the polyester too. And I, they make some kind of off-color jokes about how the pants and the shirts don't match. And, and Lindley's very excited when they don't. Like, he's got this mindset. You know, it's, it's got to be weird. And it's, if it's not weird enough, it's it's got to make it weirder. And I think his whole thing, when I saw a very old interview with him, he was talking about when they first got on stage as El Rey OX, they were told they don't move around enough. And he's like, well, then our clothes have to do the moving around for us. <laughs> Yes, yes. And if you mixed the wrong cocktails, those clothes would start moving around because they were pretty garish. And <laughs> he was pretty proud of that fact. Yeah, I have all kinds of, you know, memories about him. And now, what did you say that was? What was the name of that? Going Home. Going Home. Yes. Okay. Another thing he did, he, he palled up with a uh, American musician named Henry Kaiser, who's a, a guitarist and composer and and famous for his very unusual uh, sort of Jeff Beckian sort of solos and stuff like Love the Whammy Bar and using the pitch, you know, pitch changer stuff. And, and two, I guess, in some respects, it makes total sense. In other respects, it was like, how on earth did these two guys end up going to Madagascar and recording an album with leading Malaglassi um, musicians? And um, you know what would be big stars in Malagasy, and Malaga and Madagascar, and and they put out an album called A World Out of Time, in 1991 or 1990, and very interesting, of course, unusual world music, total world music. They ended up doing multiple records there, and I remember when they went over there, they brought he brought a, uh, it was either an OM28. OM18 or Triple O28 Vintage Martin that they brought as a present to the, you know, the Eric Clapton of Madagascar. But they did multiple records over there. And they also then did a second project where they went to Norway and they did at least two and maybe three albums with uh, traditional Norwegian musicians. And so, and this is not, you know, they're not singing in English or anything. These are, you know, they're playing their, their music in their language, but really quite uh, very cool, beautiful stuff. So if you all would go to YouTube and or just look up Henry Kaiser, David Linden, because Henry put on a a tribute requiem for uh, Mr. Dave, where he talks about all that stuff. And there's actually a little bit of footage of them in Madagascar and in sort of a music video where the studio tune is played over. Uh, is you know played over a, a film where they're all out with a bunch of people with the lead artist doing the singing and and them sort of you know jokingly uh, pretending to be playing their solos and that kind of stuff um, while they're sitting outside surrounded by a <laughs> bunch of Malaglassi children and stuff. Lindley joking and uh, <laughs> and I also know he was I think they were considering going to New Guinea and that he was getting into this again back I saw him talking about you know what he was into lately and into. Uh, not New Guinea, I beg your pardon, Guadalcanal, the island of Guadalcanal uh, in the Solomons. And apparently, you know, there was a, a couple of artists over there that he'd been listening to that use modern, like modern rock band instrumentation, but are doing mo uh, traditional island music. And, 
And I think they were, you know, he was thinking of maybe trying to go over there and do something, but I don't think anything ever actually came of that. But uh, so, yeah, a lot of eclectic tastes. You mentioned the Topanga Canyon uh, fiddle and banjo bake-offs, they were called. And he won five years in a row, starting as a teenager, and uh, until they made him a, until they actually made him a judge, as you said. And now I can't remember who it is. There was some famous musician. First time I ever saw him was uh, when he was there as a judge. And uh, but yes, he was one of those people who became very well known in his own circle in L.A. back in those days, and and immediately started getting. A session work and and at first for you know some some artists people would not be that familiar with today but that blossomed very quickly into uh, people like Linda Ronstadt after Ry Cooter and Dolly Parton very early fan of his of Dolly Parton so he's on a album with her uh, early on and then later on he's on all of the albums that the trio made with Emmylou Harris and and uh, Linda Ronstadt and Dolly Parton um, so people will certainly have heard him there. Rod Stewart fans, he's all over. Uh, Rod Stewart was the other big star that immediately recognized Lindley's unique uh, qualities. And so he's on multiple Rod Stewart albums and also did some uh, concerts with him. And I don't know if he did a full tour with him or not, but he might very well have. And he certainly went over to England to record with him. And some, sometimes on some artists, he plays the violin or fiddle, depending on the style. Sometimes he's playing uh, lap steel, uh, or uh, regular slide guitar, sometimes playing electric guitar, acoustic guitar. And there's other people, he's on, he's on really uh, interesting pop artists albums and he'll just be credited with electric saz, you know, stuff like that. So <laughs> um, yeah, pretty amazing. I know he is on at least 385 record albums. Oh my God. Um, that's also, but that's also, yeah, and that's uh, thanks to uh, Dario Rocco, very talented Italian uh, guitar player who's also a Facebook pal of mine. He actually posted that list. So it's probably not even complete, but, um, but it also, in the later years, it also contains a variety of like greatest hits packages and like rehash albums from the 70s and 80s and 90s. But if you remove those, you're still looking at Man, you know, well over 360 separate record albums that he's appeared on as a sideman or as, a, as the principal artist. Um, that's including now a lot of wonderful, what would have been called bootlegs that have now been officially released. There are concert albums with him and Jackson Brown from the days when the two of them would just tour alone. There's some when they got back together would, to do that. Um, there's some that are full live uh, Jackson Brown shows. And, uh, and other things of that ilk and um, that he's on. So I didn't know a lot of that. So I'm gonna be seeking out some of this stuff. I mean, I knew there was the Love is Strange album where it's Jackson and, and David doing a show kind of after they you know, had split apart and he was no longer a mem main member of his band. That's from like 2010. So that's, you know, when they first started getting back together doing this stuff. And I know you got to see them. I never got to see them do their sort of acoustic uh, instrument shows. But um, where did you see them? Yeah, it, it only happened once, but we got to see them at the Philly Folk Festival. I want to say, boy, I bet you it's 10 years ago, if not longer. And I'm, I'm terrible with dates, but it was a really good show. And ironically, if you watch the, uh, if you YouTube Call It Alone, from that concert uh, from the Philly Folk Festival. I think at the minute and 12 mark or minute and 13 mark, the camera cuts from being, you know, watching Jackson Brown from the front. It's a cameraman that's on stage and you see the back of David Lindley and right over Lindley's shoulder at the 112 minute mark, you'll see left to right uh, in the audience, uh, my sister Carolyn, my sister Sam, myself and Tim Perry in the, in the front or first or second row. And for much of that uh, show, you'll see what you see in that little clip. Tim and I just going, wow, <laughs> to each other. <laughs> it's Carolyn and Sam watching the show and me and Tim going, I saw that too. Did you see that too? Yeah, that, that was probably, probably the only time I saw them together with no other band. Uh, there might be concerts where they took a couple moments to play a couple songs like that. But that show front to back was just the two of them. Yeah, that's a beautiful song. It's David Linney's all over it. In fact, that was his first official writing credit on a Jackson Brown album was, was uh, Call It Alone. And really, it, you know, it, it's uh, there again. It is recognizing that guitar lick that 
doesn't matter who's whether Jackson learned it or, or David's playing it, it's it is David Lindley composition. His finger picking style is just so unique that uh, his you know melodic finger picking style is very unique and so uh, very nice. So here's a interesting story. I think um, it doesn't actually belong to David Lindley, but I'm going to say it anyway. Not long after Maury and I became friends at, because of Martin Fest, he called me out of the blue. I know it was during the winter, but I don't remember exactly when it was and said that he had an extra ticket to see Jackson Brown at the Beacon Theater in New York City and would I like to go. So of course I would love to go. I hadn't seen, hadn't seen Jackson Brown in quite a while. And so we got there and Maury and I got to sit in the, uh, in the orchestra near the back under the balcony. Well, it's the first time I got to meet uh, Maury's family. Uh, basically his sisters and his brother and his mother and who were instantly recognizable in the family resemblance and then uh, they had to sit upstairs while I and Maury got to sit downstairs and it was the show uh, the day or so after he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and he had rented out the Beacon because he wanted to do a show for his fans and so that was a, a wonderful treat and really bonded uh, Maury and I even more and the previous time that I had last seen Jackson Brown, I was in New York City on a graduate school internship at an off-Broadway theater. And so even though I had no money, I had to go. And he was playing Radio City Music Hall and El Rayo X was opening for him. And this is after El Rayo wow. X has been around for a while and had it kind of disbanded, you know, Lindy would bring it back. And so this was the later version of El Rayo X and this would have had to be in 1987. And so I go there and um, it's, you know, barely half full for El Rayo X, but it starts to fill up. And I'm one of the, one of the few people there that is actually there to see the opening act. And they put on a great show and then they leave. And then Jackson Brown comes out at the intermission and with no David Lindley. And I was like, bum. It's like, oh, well, I hope he comes out for the encore or something. And the show continues and continues and no David Lindley. And Radio City is one of those cavernous places and it's got a big aisle that cuts across about halfway down and I was on that side of the aisle and I went up to the security guard that was uh, keeping people from going down into the into the more expensive seats and I said uh, can I ask you you know the guy that was on before will he come out later on and she said oh yeah oh yeah don't worry about it so I went back and sat down <laughs> and then they break to Jackson Brown alone leave him at his piano and he starts playing on this giant grand piano and he starts playing, uh, I'm getting chills just thinking about this. He starts playing For a Dancer, which is one of my all-time favorite songs and, and real, uh, you know, heart grabber and tearjerker. And he's playing this beautiful song. And then this disembodied violin comes out of nowhere. And just immediately, you know, your knees go weak and you feel it, the butterflies in your stomach. And then the entire all those risers the band was on split apart and way upstage in the back lit from behind is David Lindley playing the violin with the light, his hair all lit up from behind. And, and then he came out and they did 10 songs together, just the two of them. And then the band came back and they finished wow. without him. And then El Rayo X came out for the, uh, for the encores and the whole, you know, both bands. Oh wow! So that was a that was a wonderful treat. That was the last time that I saw them together, and it was the last time I saw Jackson Brown until you invited me to see them, see him at the Beacon on that ice ice storm night, as I recall. But um, but yeah, that yeah. that was quite thrilling. And and then I saw him every time he came to New York that I ever knew about him coming to New York. In the in his later years, uh, he would tour with first Hanny Nazar, uh, who had played with El Rayo X who was a uh, North African musician who uh, played like conga kind of instruments. And, and David would play his huge array of instruments and just sit there and just go instrument after instrument and play all these very cool, funny songs. And then he switched to Wally Ingram, who had been the actual drummer for a stint of El Rayo X. And he would play with a full drum kit, you know, with a cowbell and, you know, except yeah. his cowbell was actually like a, maybe a East German army helmet or something. <laughs> like that, that he used to wear his cowbell <laughs> and uh, with some kind of like European military helmet. But um, so, and you can buy, you know, you, were, you can buy uh, live recordings of 
both them, Henry Nasser and, and uh, Wally Ingram shows with David. And yes, so I was, you know, after David Crosby and then, and then Mr. Dave, uh, that's, it's been a tough year. Um, it made me think of my, back in the day when my father's childhood music heroes like Chet Baker, you know, or his teenage music heroes like Chet Baker, uh, were passing away, you know, and, um, and uh, now it's happening to us. I know, I see a trend coming. It feels like everything we like to listen to, all of our musical heroes, they're, they're lining up now, and it's just going to be that, that time. But it's, it was really, Crosby really, really hit me out of nowhere. I, I don't know why I was so shocked about that, but I really was. And then I lulled myself into, you know, just feeling bad about this. But maybe a lot of people who finally know who David Lindley is don't even recognize the week before David Lindley passed, Jackson Brown's keyboard player, Jeff Young, passed, like, I think seven or eight days before wow. that. And he was really well known for playing with Jackson in the last 10 years. Steely Dan, Sting. I mean, I, it's, I know it's asking a lot for all the people who know Jackson Brown to also know David Lindley's you know, full discography. And once you go past David Lindley, a lot of musicians that are really true artists in, in their own sense, but don't have recognition, won't necessarily make the news. But in eight days, Jackson lost his keyboard player and his, his you know, probably one of his best friends. And it, it, it makes you watch the news every couple of days, like who's coming next. And yes, and they did stay best friend. Who knows if they had any falling outs or, or whatever, but it's got to, it had to have hit uh, Jackson Brown very hard. Even if he knew it was coming, he may have been in touch, you know, with David's family. Uh, you know, I think of David as being the young, uh, you know, they would have called themselves freaks in those days. Um, you know, the psychedelic guy from from the late 60s, early 70s that I learned about in my, uh, you know, early, early teen years and, and uh, followed. But uh, he actually, uh, when he passed away, he had 10 grandchildren and, you know, and was, you know, very much a wow. family man. And, um, and uh, you know, you got to see the two of them together solo like that. I did on that, you know, that uh, in the middle of that electric show. But I will kick myself forever. I grew up in a small city, they would call it, the county seat in northwest Ohio, in the middle of corn and soybeans. And when I was uh, maybe 16 or 15, they finally had a real rock concert in our little ice rink they had built for the high school hockey team and for, you know, general skating. And it was uh, my very first rock concert. It was the guest who on a reunion, you know, would come back show. And the opening act was a local guy from Detroit that nobody had ever heard of named Bob Seeger. And so this, I don't remember what year it was, but Catman do hit AM radio like a month later. So I did not go to the second concert they had which was Seals and Crofts, because the only people I knew who followed Seals and Crofts were all, you know, 15-year-old girl, giggly girls, and I had no interest. And, and sure enough, the opening act was Jackson Brown and David Lindley in my hometown, oh and I didn't go see them, and I would have probably known who they were by that time, but maybe not. It might have been, <clears throat> might have been right before I had discovered uh, For Every Man. And I, I got to know Jackson's first album after the second album. And I think what really sent me over the edge was seeing them on, there used to be some PBS music show similar to Austin City Limits, but it was out of Chicago. And they were on there. And it was with the, would have been the tour of uh, either just before or just after the release of Late for the Sky. And that's when I realized that Lindy was playing their lap steel thing, not, not doing all that slide guitar, like a Dwayne Allman player. And... Um, and that was one of my all-time favorite versions of Late for the Sky, the guitar solo on that. Um, yeah. And there's another show. There's a there's a, at least, a, if not a full show, there's videos of them playing, I think, in D.C. And it may be a full show, very bad black and white footage. So it's actually the, the venue's archival camera. And it's Jackson Brown with a full band, but Lindley playing the lead guitar. And, he's, and he primarily plays... Uh, actual just lead guitar. I think he's playing a Telecaster actually, but um, that's very cool. It's right wow. from that same, right around that same era. But um, you were talking about shows you regretted missing. Did you catch the Bonnie Raitt, Bruce Hornsby, Sean Colvin, Jackson Brown concert with David Lindley as the band leader? I did see. I didn't see the show. No, I just saw the video that that uh, of them doing Mercury Blues. But um, 
but no, uh, yeah, and I don't know if that's if that show is like available to buy, you know, to see the whole show. But I would love to see that, of course. Um, I don't know, but that's a tour that was very, very short-lived, and I found out about it right after I discovered this music. And right after it was too late, I saw so much footage about, you know, back when it was just only a year old, I recognized I missed it. And, of course, in these last 10 years, when YouTube brings you everything you want to see, that looks like it was just, I mean, in, in the last 10 years, I've really grown to like Sean Colvin's music, always been a fan of, of Lindley and Jackson Brown, uh, love Bonnie Raitt. I, I never really did dive into the Bruce Hornsby stuff, but I'm sure if, I, if I'd give it a chance, I'd like it as much. But to see all that stuff together anyway, it must have been so great. And then having David Lindley as the band leader, you could just imagine how, how tight that was. And just, uh, yeah, yeah, I never even knew about it until, uh, until after he died. And uh, our friend Reese had uh, shared that video with me. Uh, Mercury Blues, if you've never seen David Lindley playing Mercury Blues, highly recommend it. Um, that particular uh, recording is a little unusual, the one uh, the, from that concert. If you see uh, some of the El Rayo X videos of him doing it, um, and, and I recommend looking for the electric ones, the ones when he's acoustic with just Wally is not, never quite the same as that insanely huge, uh, <laughs> vibrant, high octane tone he gets out of those uh, his guitars and um, very, very greasy. Very, very greasy. <laughs> yes, indeed. So I would like to now read through a list of recording artists where David Lillian was featured on one of their records, sometimes multiple records, uh, sometimes in all kinds of capacities. Uh, this is not even including uh, where he wrote the liner notes to uh, tribute album to Alan Holdsworth or what um, I never pronounced that name correctly, but, but, um, or, or him as, you know, uh, producer or composer, but these include Aaron Neville. These are in alphabetical order, by the way. Uh, and you might as well, you know, put your feet up and, and get the snack bowl. Cause it's a, it's an extensive <laughs> list. So Aaron Neville, America, Amy Grant, Andres Wollenvander, who, uh, Vider, who is a, uh, a He's on multiple albums by that guy. He's a Swiss New Age harpist and, and flute flautist. Van Animal, Animal Logic, Bangles, Belinda Carlisle, Van Harper, Bob Dylan, Bonnie Colick, Bonnie Raitt, uh, Carlene Carter, Sedelia Marley Brooker, uh, Checkered Past, Claire Hamill. Uh, we mentioned Crosby and Nash, Graham Nash, and technically Crosby and Stills, uh, Dan Fogelberg. Daniel Keefe, David Bromberg, David Gates, multiple albums, Damar Holland, Dolly Parton, multiple albums, Dwayne Eddie and the Rebels, multiple albums, Elliot Morris, Graham Nash in here again, Henry Kaiser that I had mentioned, Herb Pedersen, Holly Cole, multiple, uh, Holly Cole, who if you have never heard Holly, Holly Cole, look her up, beautiful singer, uh, very, uh, well, she's a song stylist, uh, Ian Matthews, Someone named Jackson Brown, I've heard of him somewhere. Uh, James uh, Rainey, James Taylor, J-Boy Adams, Jesse Colin Young, Jimmy Barnes, multiple albums, Joe Walsh, John Prine, uh, Johnny Two Bags Wickers Wickersham, Kazoo Matsui, Kenny Loggins, Leo Sayer, uh, Linda Ronstadt, Little Feet, Lonnie Mack, Maria Mulder, Marshall Crenshaw, Maxfield Parrish, Eddie Money, Neil Sadaka, Neil Young, uh, that's a live recording from the Bridge Concerts, uh, New Frontier, Osamu Kitajima, Patty Austin, Patty Dalstrom, Peter Case, Priscilla Coolidge, Richard Thompson, Ricky Lee Jones, Rod Stewart, multiple albums, Rodney Crowell, uh, Ry Cooter, many multiple albums, Sarah Hickman, Savage, Sean Colvin, Steve Gillette, Taj Mahal, Tanita Tikaram, Ted Roddy, Terry Evans, The Church, the Imperials, the Kaleidoscope, the Pahinui brothers, who are, uh, they, people call them the Hawaiian Neville brothers, but their music's not like the Neville brothers, really. The Paxton brothers, the Talbot brothers, the trio albums of the of Parton Rumsat and Emily Harris, Tim Moore, Tom Jans, Tom Kell, Toto, Troy Newman, Ulf Lundell, Walter Egan, Warren Zevon, Ziggy Marley, and Zydeco Party. And I'm sure that's not complete. Um, <laughs> that's outrageous. 
that's outrageous. So, and that's in addition to his own albums that he put out with the various uh, renditions of Ray, El Rayo X, which I think may be number four and a live album. Uh, or maybe the live album is part of four. Live album went out of print very early on, which is too bad. I only have it on cassette and I can't find the cassette. So I'm hoping that will show up available uh, again at some point. But because um, it's got my favorite Lindley solo on uh, uh, Talk to the Lawyer is from that album. Uh, and the one that he does in the German TV show or, it's, or that's available on YouTube anyway from the band playing in Germany at some point is also really good, but it's not quite as good as the one from El Rayo X Live. So if you haven't heard him, seek him out. And if you had heard him, we would love to know your favorite thoughts and stories about uh, the late, great David Lindley in the comment section on the YouTube version of this uh, podcast. Amen to that. And after this show, after we get done recording, I'm going to go find my guitar, look inside again where David Lindley was so gracious to sign it. Uh, a lot of you guys might not know, but Spoon certainly does. My Martin OM28V has lots of great signatures inside it. Guys like Graham Nash, Chris Martin IV, Jackson Brown, and of course, David Lindley is front and center to the point where he was the last one to sign it so far. And when we met up with him at the Opera House in Jim Thorpe a few years ago, you know, he said he'd, he'd be glad to sign it. He looked inside, he got it sharp, and he said, where am I going to sign it? There's no more room. And then in his, uh, <laughs> the way he, he likes to talk when he's being funny, it's going to look like I signed it with my foot. <laughs> so he had to hold the Sharpie at like the very back. Like he's got, you know, he's only holding it like an inch down on, on the end of the pen and he's trying to write, but the pen keeps moving because he's not able to hold it in the middle. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things I, I knew I'd want to have a, a good memory of, of finally meeting up with him. And when we got to talk shop, Max Zug, uh, Tim Perry, and I cornered him for quite a good long time after one of his concerts. Very, very approachable, very happy to, you know, nerd out about playing guitar. And we're asking lots of kinds of questions as if he could tell us enough that when we leave there, we can play like him. Um, but it was, a, it was a great memory and I'll, I'll have to go and look at that guitar uh, in a little more reverence than normal with, uh, with him passing, but I'll sure never forget <laughs> all the musical genius that he put on us. And it's, 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 I've been a better musician and a better music appreciator for knowing his music and getting to meet him. Yes, indeed. And, and I have to say you and Tim, and you guys play that stuff uh, with the band or on your own, uh, you certainly do his music, uh, uh, you know, good service. And thank you. Um, he used to exchange, I exchanged emails with him uh, quite a long time now ago, back when he oh, wow. was uh, doing some, beta testing for LR bags. Uh, he and Bonnie Raitt were beta testing um, the, what did they call their sound hole pickup, their electric sound hole pickup? Um, uh, the M1 or the M80? It was the M1, yeah, with the M1. And so we exchanged some emails about electronic pickups and I asked him about what he used and how he used, you know, what he did. And, and in fact, I know that on his SAS and maybe on some of his other weirder instruments, he actually used uh, what uh, the electronic sensors that are originally used in earthquake sensors to detect earthquakes huh. to uh so he definitely liked to do a lot of experimentation about that kind of stuff and um and i got to speak to him at the bottom line when he would play there you know i would always bring people who'd never seen him and sit right down front and you know and and i think some of them certainly got him more than others and became plema heads as fans of david lindy sometimes called themselves i'm still I'm, i don't know if it's obscene or not i have no idea what a plema head is but Apparently I am one <laughs> and uh, yeah, yes. And it really has brought me back to him. You know, there's a line from, uh, well, before that, I'll just say that when you, if you look him up, if you look at the tributes, people talk about what a, when you're talking about genius, what a time mastery was. Everybody said he had incredible, great time, but also just that his technique, his uh, ability to, to just sit down and hear a song once and add something to it that, that truly fits and truly works. And he taught uh, he taught Leo Kotke how to get rid of an earworm. Uh, Kotke told me that that he said that Lindley told him that if you were playing in a session, and you got a song stuck in your head and you don't really want it, you play it backwards in your head, and it'll it'll put it out of phase and take it away. And I <laughs> I will absolutely say it really works. It takes a little work sometimes <laughs> to figure out this phrase going backwards, but it I found it actually really works. So, uh, <laughs> wow. so he was, you know, Mama Lindley's boy was no fool, even if he liked to pretend like he was half the time. But, uh, but uh, he will be missed. Funny songs like 
meth lab boyfriend um, and cat food sandwiches. Um, but uh, yeah, he will be missed. But it's also brought me back to him. There's a line from Ford Dancer that says, um, I don't remember losing track of you. You were always dancing in, out of, in and out of you. And then he says, you know, always making things real about playing the clown, but now you know where to be found. And um, very first thing I did was uh, share on social media a recording of them doing uh, Ford Dancer from the early days. And at the moment that line hit me, I just, I just, uh, it went right through me like a javelin right to the heart. And, and then I shared the, uh, a later version from like 20 years later of the two of them doing it, I think at the show that you were at. But um, I still haven't had, I just haven't been able to bring myself to write about David Crosby or David Lindley yet for, for one man's uh, com. But I'm going to now, I've been, I think I've been absorbing enough and, his death really brought me back to so much great music that I'm going to be on a David Lindley jag for quite a while now as a result. Well, it's, it's never fun to talk about these things. And I, I always have a great time with you spoon on these podcasts, but today was just a little bit more of a downer of a day and it's nothing against you or myself. It's just a topic we never wanted to talk about, but I do want to thank all of you guys for listening, especially on a, on a somber moment like this. And if you have a moment, please take some time, and uh, write down in the comments of the YouTube version of this video, what's your favorite David Lindley memory? Uh, what's, what's your favorite David Lindley song? Uh, what do you think of when you think of David Lindley? We'll be looking forward to checking out what you guys have to say about this whole episode. Nothing to celebrate, but by the same token, Lindley certainly is something to celebrate. So from all of us at Maury's Music, thanks for listening. Hear you later. This has been a presentation of Maury's Music your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at maurysmusic.com. Music.com.